everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the La Brea Purveya, where we recap and deep dive into the NBC sci-fi adventure drama La Brea. I am your purveyor, Pete Phillips. Episode 2 keeps things steady and consistent, while still introducing new layers into the ongoing path towards a finale. Despite creator David Applebaum saying that the ending will be satisfying for fans, I'm a little worried about the pace so far. But lots of things do happen, so let's get into it. Episode Recap We open in 2021 LA, where Ty is enjoying some food and a complimentary beer from a waitress. She pries, and I think she flirts, and Ty muses on about not knowing how to help his friends. The waitress essentially tells him to get help, like from other people, and it genuinely looks like Ty hasn't even considered that as an option. Where's your brains, kid? But now, he has. At the fort, Sam is packing his stuff to go find his daughter, Riley, who disappeared into an Aurora last episode. Gavin tries to calm Sam down and says something that we don't actually know to be true, which is that Maya Schmidt can tell Sam where Riley and Josh are. There's no clear reason he can assume that except for hope, and maybe a little bit of manipulation. See, Gavin has lost Levi, Ty, and Josh to time, and those were his helper buddies. And with Lucas being like the town mayor or something, Gavin has no men to bro down with now except Sam. But Sam is solely focused on Riley, and he tells Gavin to shut up and step aside, which he does. Meanwhile, Judah is whining about gardening, and Lucas tells him to be quiet and appreciate that they have anywhere to live right now. The Ford people took them in, but, but the substitute ruler, while Para is away, may not be as benevolent as she was. Veronica tries to calm Lucas's worries, but everyone is distracted by a distress signal, a horn blowing in the distance because they found a Fort person dead. <laughs> Sam, our resident doctor, examines the body and concludes... The way he's lying there like this, it's not natural. You aren't even a doctor, are you? Enter Ruth, who doesn't appreciate the Sky People. She's the substitute ruler that I was talking about before. She seems to imply that the Sky People killed this guy who's on the ground, even though there's not really anything to go on except suspicion. A warrior guy says that if they find the dead guy's weapons, it may tell them what happened. Though, maybe if they find who has the weapons, it may not be so good. So they break into search pairs, and Scott and Veronica are one group. In discussion, Scott says that he's brought Ruth flowers every day since they've gotten there, which tells me that it's been more than one day. So Ty has been in 2021 for multiple days now, and evidently he has taken no steps to do anything to stop this hole from opening up, or at least to stop his friends from getting into it. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Now, Scott is always part of a discovery group, so it's no shock when Veronica finds the weapons. New Veronica is super positive and she is not brooding at all. It's refreshingly odd. Scott, from above, sees a spiral in the sand, which must mean something. And back at the camp, where Sam has suddenly stopped looking for Riley, Scott calls this spiral Ouroboros, which is traditionally depicted as a snake eating its own tail, and I have never, ever seen it represented as a spiral. But Scott says that it symbolizes eternal return. Or it could also represent a winding journey. I could find no depiction of Ouroboros as a spiral. I will explain why this is significant to me in the next segment of the show. 
Ouroboros is often interpreted as a symbol for eternal cyclic renewal, or a cycle of life, death, and rebirth. And, as you heard, Scott uses the term eternal return, which is what we've been talking about for the last few episodes. Sam bails again, and he's heading towards the exit of the fort, but the warrior guy who is guarding it will not let him out. Everyone is a suspect in the death of the soldier, who I wish they gave a name to because I feel bad calling him the dead guy. Remember when that guy Wyatt was murdered? Like, he was just in one episode and then immediately murdered. So I wish they gave this guy a name, too. Anyway, Gavin and Sam fight the gate guards, and they get put in fort jail. While he's being dragged away, Izzy scolds her dad. And then we go back in time to a pre-hole Sam lecturing residents as they follow him through the hospital. His advice is that they not lose their cool. Oh, thank God. I was worried that we were going to go into lost territory and dip into each character's backstory, but we're actually in 2021 with Ty. And of all the people that he thought to reach out to, he picked Sam. So let's find out why. So Ty goes up to Sam and he's like, hey, listen, I'm a time traveler. Here's a list of things that will happen today to prove it. If you want to talk more about this, I'm pretty much camped out at this bar because I don't have a home. And Sam is suspicious, but he indulges Ty and takes the list. At the fort, Izzy is firing a bow and arrow, and she is not very good. A villager, Layla, picks on her a bit and tells her that she's using her bow, and Izzy is a total jerk about it. Okay, time for you to get back to pulling weeds. I'm good here, thanks. You can be good somewhere else. That's my bow. You can have it when I'm done. You sure about that? I'm a warrior. And you clearly are not. You don't even know my name and you're already insulting me. That's not fair. Haven't you figured it out? Life's not fair. Turns out this is Ruth's daughter. And Ruth, as a lesson to both of them, makes them work together. Layla will teach Izzy how to use the bow and arrow. And honestly, I like Layla. I can't be mad at anybody who's putting Izzy in her place since no one really has. Ruth instantly pops up somewhere else in the fort and talks to Lucas about leading people and being civilized. And then, out of nowhere, someone falls from the sky and dies. Turns out, there are pterodactyls. I've had them on this show cover all this time, but they have finally made it into the show! Okay, now let's get an idea of where everybody is, because it is getting a little busy here. Okay, so Sam and Gavin are in jail, indoors. Scott and Izzy are in a hut, which is also indoors. Ruth and her gang are fighting outdoors, and pterodactyls are trying to get indoors. And Layla, well, she shoots that pterodactyl with an arrow. And it turns out that Veronica has been safe all along, so that's great too. Wired Magazine has a piece called What's Wrong with the Flying Pterosaurs in Jurassic World by Rhett Elaine. This is some of the smart stuff that he had to say on the matter, with some conversions and examples by me. By estimating the size of the human who is being carried in a scene in Jurassic World, I get a pterosaur wingspan of about 8 meters, which is 26 feet. With my mass model, I get a mass of the pterosaur weighing 87 pounds. Big deal, right? Well, let's say the human female in the picture has a mass of 100 pounds. That means that this pterosaur isn't just flying and increasing in altitude. The pterosaur is also increasing altitude with a payload that is heavier than itself. That can't be very easy. 
This would be like seeing a bald eagle picking up a bulldog or a cocker spaniel, when, in fact, a bald eagle can only lift a maximum of five pounds, like a chihuahua or a Pomeranian. Ruth and Lucas have a heated discussion in front of others, which is a little rough for a leader to take on. In a stint of political messaging, all of the refugees from the clearing are being put into the long house because they are a nuisance. Judah survived the attack too, and it just turns out he happened to find another spiral in the sand. Scott concludes that the pterodactyls are making the spirals. And what does that mean exactly? Scott says it's because they're nesting. No, most turtles do not do what the pterodactyls are doing, but in case you missed it, Scott mentions the leatherback turtle, the largest of all sea turtle species, and the largest living reptile. Not to mention, the only marine turtle without a hard shell, and without claws on its flippers. The Canadian Wildlife Federation tells us that females dig a hole in the sand only about as deep as their flippers can dig. When the egg chamber is ready, the turtle lays her eggs which are approximately the size of a billiard ball, and have, and have a rubbery shell which helps keep them from breaking as they fall into the chamber on top of one another. A leatherback will lay from 60 to 90 yoked eggs. On top of these, she lays several yolkless eggs. Some scientists think these dummy eggs allow oxygen to continue circulating around the fertile eggs, by helping to prevent sand from falling between them. After the turtle has laid her eggs, she covers the nest with sand and packs it down with her rear flippers, and then she uses her front flippers to throw sand on top to help disguise the cavity. Then she leaves an unmistakable trail with her body and front flippers as she returns to the sea. A conservationist, and not a killer, Scott suggests that they give the dinosaurs another place to settle down and have their babies rather than have them kill off everyone in the fort one by one. Good thinking, dude! The longhouse is guarded, which doesn't feel great for the people inside of it. There aren't beds or chairs or anything. They're all just crammed in there standing around. I would guess that there are about 60 people in there, and I'm bad at guessing. But is that all that's left from the people that fell into the hole? If so, that's a national tragedy. While Sam and Gavin are still in jail, Sam apologizes for his behavior, which is more than Gavin has ever done regarding his behavior. At this point, several characters are recapping how their time in the hole has made them better people. But I'm here scratching my head about why Sam hasn't mentioned meeting a time traveler in 2021 yet. When they told young Sam something in 1988, he knew it in 10,000 BC. So why isn't that happening now? Unless Sam doesn't take Ty seriously in 2021. But he does. He meets him at the restaurant that Ty has been camped out at since he returned. Ty lays it all out for Sam. In three weeks, a giant sinkhole will open near the La Brea Tar Pits and swallow a chunk of midtown Los Angeles. A sinkhole? Yes, but it's more than that. It's a portal that will take people, including you and me, to the year 10,000 BC. You expect me to believe all that? Yes, I do, because it's the truth. It's impossible. I know that your wife gave you divorce papers. You probably have them on you right now. I know that... You have PTSD. I know you think Riley is in pre-med, but she quit. She isn't going to tell you for weeks. Who the hell are you? I'm your friend. Ty just prattles off personal details about Sam until Sam gets mad. It may be just what Sam needed, though, to convince him. Nope. Nope, wait. Sam is storming out. Back at the fort, Ruth and Lucas talk again, but it's getting a little tiresome to me. And since we're getting close to the end of the episode, the talk finally works. 
They're going to execute Scott's big idea, which is to dig up a dinosaur egg, move it without the pterodactyls noticing that their baby carriage has been robbed, and place it in a spiral made by people somewhere else. But on the way to delivering the egg, they find a downed chopper, and then the dinosaurs find them. I'm sorry, I only have so many synonyms. Uh, Like, I know that it's not a pterodactyl, but pterosaur sounds weirder, and I'm, I'm just running out of words. Anyway, despite them being in a wooded area, Gavin suggests that they shoot off flares to distract the pterodactyls so that they can make it to their new nesting spot. And I'm really at a loss for what the plan is here because I don't fly a helicopter. So I didn't know that they had a mechanism that shoots off a ton of flares at once. But I guess it's great for, like, a heat-seeking missile or something. Anyway, they don't burn down the forest, so that's great. And they deliver the egg just in time. After they move just one egg, it's all good. The pterodactyls kind of, like, dance and, you know, they're happy at their new location. In the meantime, Layla and Izzy become friends, all because they're both misunderstood. You know, like every teenager is. The fort people are happy to let the sky people roam about now. Lucas remarks how they save the fort people's asses, but they still won't eat with them. Again, I'm feeling some interesting political vibes here, and I like it. Looks like the show is actually trying to make a statement for once, and that's pretty cool. It's also subtle enough that it might not bother the audience. It turns out Ruth's grandfather was a sky person from the 1960s, but she doesn't trust sky people now. Interesting. But she seems to have learned a lesson. So now Lucas needs to learn the same and be more understanding and appropriate around the fort folks. Gavin tries to make peace with Izzy, but honestly, I don't know why they're at odds with one another, so it doesn't really mean much to me. And Sam is back on the move, but Gavin keeps him from leaving. I went back out to the chopper and I got the tail number. So what? It's from Madera Air Force Base. Sam, that's in Los Angeles. If it's in the same place it was up there, then I can find it down here. Could I bring Riley back? And that's all that Sam needs to hear, apparently. Listen, I'm not from California, so I don't know how liberal we get with locations and regions. But according to Google Maps, Madura, California is a four to five hour drive from Los Angeles or a four day walk. But you know how someone says, oh, yeah, the Home Depot is just around the corner from my house, but it's actually like a five minute drive. That seems acceptable, but I feel like this one is a little extreme to say that Madura is in Los Angeles. I wonder if the show's writers could only use Madura because it was closed in 1966 and handed to a Native American group, which operated the property as a vocational technology center. It was eventually sold to the current owner, who bought it in the late 80s or in early 90s. According to satellite images, it still looks pretty industrial today, hosting C.R. Crete, a company that really wants to build you a concrete wall. And now we're back with Ty in 2021, where, again, he continues to loiter at this restaurant that seems to never close. And Sam comes back, and he believes Ty now. He says that he has a military pal who checked out Maya Schmidt, and he found that she is connected to a top-secret project on quantum physics at Madura Air Force Base. This is the worst-kept secret. Sam says that they need someone who knows more about the project than they do. And so we end up at the LAPD where Gavin is being released from a night of drinking. And if you're like me, you think, wait, I thought he was doing better. No, in the pilot episode, he was actually drinking in his car before he went into the job interview to become a pilot. So this all checks out. What just happened? 
Okay, so there's a spiral in the sand, and Scott calls it Ouroboros. And this is how it impacted me and my understanding of the show. Scott's wrong. And what if Scott actually isn't a great student? Like, he has general knowledge, so I just assumed that he was smart. But what if he's not? An ex-girlfriend of mine's sister was engaged to a doctor, and they talked about him like he was the smartest guy in the world. And he joked to me, C's get degrees. And sure, Scott scored an interview with Maya Schmidt, but he didn't, like, pass the interview and get the job. What if all this time we've been trusting Scott's knowledge, but it's not really as sharp as we thought it was? That's a very good question. What message have we learned about refugees in this episode? A lot of refugees from war-torn places have been going to quote-unquote developed countries to find peace and try to live a normal life. They don't always have that chance because of prejudice, bias, etc. This episode, the Fort people learned that the Sky people aren't so bad, and that they have something to contribute. This is partially because of the leadership of Lucas when he finally confronts Ruth head-on. I put your people in there to stay out of our way, and already you disobey me. Look, I spoke out against you because I was afraid. Okay, I was worried about Veronica and our child. And everybody else here. But I was wrong. Ruth, I'm just trying to protect the people that I love. I mean, you have a daughter, right? Isn't that something you, you understand? Sky people are arrogant, have no practical skills, are reckless, and they're pampered. But they're human, too. Similarly, everyone can learn a lesson about judging folks and how everyone serves a purpose in this crazy world we share. It's kind of nice when there's a point to an episode, don't you think? That's a very good question. I'm glad that Izzy is doing her own thing and learning a skill, but why does she have to be so rude and thoughtless? If you were at a basketball court and you picked up a ball that was just laying there and started shooting, and someone said, hey, that's my ball, can I get it? I'm heading out of here. Would you say, you can use it when I'm done? No way, but Izzy does, and it's so strange. I guess it's just supposed to be an expression of teen angst, but she really just comes across as uncaring and selfish. Or am I missing something because she's so misunderstood? That's a very good question. I can't believe that Ty went to Sam first out of all the people that he could go to in 2021. Prior to the Ouroboros incident, I'd have gone to Scott because he seems like he would believe what happened and he has some knowledge. Eve seems like a good person too because she's pretty rational, but she's practically out of the season. Of course, you know I want to see the return of Dr. Sophia Nathan, but I don't think that Ty ever met her. And when they jumped to the police station, I was really hoping that Mary Beth was going to walk out. But Sam and Tyler picked up Gavin. Now, how will this newfound friendship affect Gavin moving forward to the hole? Knowing him, he'll probably try to fall into the hole too so that his family can stay together. Or does that not really matter? It's just too confusing! You know, Gavin would probably try to keep his family out of the hole rather than jump in the hole with them, right? Like, if he could. That's something he might be able to control. But is he going to have the clout to get a ton of scientists to believe that the ground is going to open up and swallow people? That's a very good question. When they told young Sam about finding a portal in 1988, his future self in 10,000 BC remembered it immediately. However, we're not seeing that here. 10,000 BC Sam should be remembering his encounter with Ty, telling him about the sinkhole. But I think what we have discovered here is a writer... What? See, if that worked before, then it should work now. If even Izzy could go back and save Gavin from being killed in Season 2, then it shows that free will can overcome eternal return. 
Same thing with older Sam remembering something that Riley told him in the past. So this is just a flub. But without it, there would be no tension. So is it really worth us getting mad over? That's a very good question. Remember when Gavin, Izzy, and Ella jumped through a hole in Seattle and ended up on the beach in Santa Monica? Or do you remember Billy and Tony from the first season? How Tony worked on his Jeep all the time, and then they used that Jeep to drive to Mojave from Los Angeles, which is about 95 miles. And then sometimes they even used it for the 16-mile trip from L.A. to Santa Monica. What I'm getting at is that nothing about this whole finding the base in 10,000 B.C. seems credible. But these writers need to wrap up a show in six episodes, so I think we should give them a pass, don't you? That's a very good question. Here's a preview. The little description on the Internet Movie Database for next week's episode says, As Gavin and Sam search for a secret military base, they are surprised by an old colleague of Gavin's who may hold the clues to finding Eve. It's Maya Schmidt. Ty also becomes sidetracked as he confronts the demons of his past. And I was kind of hoping we would skip all this Ty stuff in the past. I don't really want to see suicidal Ty again, especially if it's 10,000 BC Ty turning back into 2021 Ty because he has no purpose. But we'll see how this goes. Ty puts a lot of pressure on Gavin immediately in the preview for next week's episode. I understand this is frightening, but the lives people you love depend on you i have a year of my life i can't remember we should find maya schmidt she could help bring our families back but closer we get to the truth more i get the feeling we're in danger we see a few quick shots of things one of them is layla seemingly standing in tar the other is of izzy looking worried about it and then we see Another wonderful woolly rhino running after Sam and Gavin. I love seeing these guys. They look so cuddly. They would definitely kill me in an instant. Oh my god. Gavin? Then they meet Maya Schmidt, who actually looks pretty good for being stuck in 10,000 BC and seemingly living in the woods. I can guide you to the memories you lost. <laughs> Gavin! La Brea, next Tuesday on NBC and Peacock. The preview ends with Gavin having a seizure on the ground, which maybe is what happens when you remember a year's worth of your life all at once. I don't know. In the media reviews. This week in the media, NBC.com released a piece where they spoke with David Applebaum. I'll have to read this one because I only found it in print. But my first warning for you is that there is something to be said for a media tour like a lot of things will get repeated over the course of various interviews. So give the man some leeway because he says some things we already know about. The lead-in is talking about Ty ending up in 2021 again. What we really liked about going to that time period is that there's a sense that you've learned so much about these characters over the first few seasons. And then to go back to the point in time when Sam and Gavin hadn't gone through any of that change before. We found it to be a really exciting idea, Applebaum explained. And there will be other characters that they will meet along the way as well. In wrapping things up, there's a sense of full circleness that you'll really get, which was the really exciting part of that story. He continues, I think the goal with all time travel stories is that they're a lot of fun. But with time travel, there's also the danger of it becoming too confusing. So that's one of the things we try to just avoid and to make it as clean and as simple as possible. And even if you're not a genre fan, 
which I am, and a lot of our writers are, you can still understand. Everyone understands Back to the Future, he cited. You don't have to be a genre fan to like a story like that. But there are some stories that get into the particulars, like the rules of time travel, and we really wanted to avoid things like that. So he does seem to subscribe to this Back to the Future concept. But if that's the case, then I need to understand something. If Ty from 10,000 BC ends up back in 2021, before the hole even opens, according to Back to the Future rules, there are now two Ties in the timeline. And there will remain two Ties, unless Ty Prime somehow magically goes back to 10,000 BC. It's the same reason that Marty McFly worked so hard to go back home. Yes, of course, he wanted to get home to his girlfriend Jennifer, but it also probably would have been weird if he witnessed his own birth. Which, yes, I realize in the context of the movie is very unlikely. Collider also spoke with the creator, Applebaum, and we get a glimpse into what's coming next. Gavin's backstory and his history are really at the center of season three. We started the show with the understanding that Gavin has visions, but didn't know why. And then, ultimately, we learned that he had this connection to 10,000 BC, being Isaiah, of course. And then, season two further explained that by learning about his father, James, and his family's connection to the Lazarus building. We go even deeper in season three and learn more about things that he had no idea about, including his family. Learning about his family, his sister included, is going to be crucial to the plot and also to how they're going to get home. Whether his sister appears in this season, I can't give that away, but the specter of his family continues to play a huge role in the story. Dude, she's got to appear in this season. Like, you're running out of time, bro. Or is he? The Collider interviewer asks, Because this seems like a show that could continue in different ways, have you thought about possible spin-off ideas? To which Applebaum replies, Definitely, I have ideas. You never know what will happen. Shows have complicated and surprising afterlives. I definitely have ideas of where I'd like to bring the show, but this is the end of this story that we're telling in Season 3. We're not going to leave any cliffhangers. We're going to wrap things up in a really satisfying way. I definitely have ideas for where else I could take the concept, but what's most important is that, for the audience, this is going to be the most satisfying conclusion that they deserve for having stuck with the show for all these years. I guess when you think about it, it has been multiple years, but all these years... If you like what you're listening to here, you can go out there and rate me someplace. I always say that pretty passively, but I was pleasantly surprised to find a five-star review out on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much, It's Mrs. B. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions or ideas, please feel free to reach out via email at yallheardpod at gmail.com. That's the email address of the parent podcast of this show, which is called Y'all Heard. But I promise, I'll field the emails relevant to this show. If you have a dollar to spare, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash y'all heard. Otherwise, for now, keep watching La Brea, and don't think too hard about it. After all, it's here for fun. Mm-hmm.